Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, resident pastor Ramon continues in our series, Disruptive Witness. Let's hear what God's word has for us with resident pastor Ramon Belagamba. We're in Jonah 3 this morning. Um, so if you turn there right now on your phone, got the physical Bible, um, love for you to join us. So um, Jonah 1, uh, we preached a, I preached a message called, Can I Get a Witness? Jonah 2. Um, last week, we looked at his grace, um, our witness, all right? Everybody should be there now. Um, so if you're able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, we'll be looking at Jonah 3 this morning. All right, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and satin ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching uh, a message entitled, His Mercy, I Witness. His Mercy, I Witness. Now, um, let me go before the Lord in prayer. Father, it's um, such a privilege um, to stand before your people and to proclaim your word. Um, it's a weighty privilege, something that I don't take lightly. I pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you just work through me, um, that you speak to, your, to the hearts of your people. Um, you speak to the hearts of those that may not know you. And that Christ be glorified. That Christ be glorified. Um, that's what we're seeking to do this morning. Let us uncover more of the mystery of your grace, the mysteries of your mercies, and um, for our lives today. Speak to us, Lord, speak to us. I pray this through Jesus Christ, our holy Lord, in his matchless name, amen. You may be seated. So on November 25th, uh, 1980, in New Orleans, Louisiana, there was a great super fight 
um, that took place in the New Orleans uh, Superdome. And for some of you, you may not have been born. I wasn't either. <laughs> but for those who are, are boxing fans, there was a great fight that took place that day between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. And this was fight number two in this series because in the prior fight, Duran, who was a loud and brash Panamanian fighter with such skill and power and dirty tactics, he just pummeled through 15 rounds an unbeaten American by the name of Sugar Ray Leonard. And Sugar Ray Leonard lost in a majority decision. And it was during the fight, and especially after the fight, that Duran just really just taunted and ridiculed Sugar Ray Leonard. The big bad Panamanian despised who he saw as the weaker American. And this left Sugar Ray just down in the dumps. Sugar Ray Leonard didn't even, even know if he wanted to continue fighting. He even thought about retiring which is crazy when you think about how successful he was, uh, Olympic champion and, and an undefeated boxer. And after much thought, Sugar Ray Leonard said, I'm going to get in that ring again. And in that second fight, we quickly saw that this was going to be a different night for Leonard, that Duran didn't have the same power. He was out of shape. He looked nothing like the man we saw only three months ago. And Sugar Ray Leonard, he took advantage of Roberto Duran. And for seven rounds, he just pummeled and pummeled him. And the tide had turned. And in that eighth round, with about 30 seconds left to go, Roberto Duran did the unspeakable. He literally turned his back to Sugar Ray Leonard and looked to the referee. And he waved his right hand. And many will say that when he was waving his right hand to uh, the referee Octavio uh, Moran, that he even said, no mas. And the referee didn't want to stop the fight. He didn't know what was going on. He was like, what is going on? But Duran was saying, no mas. He needed mercy. And eventually, when Sugar Ray Leonard was about to pummel Roberto Duran, the referee, Octavio Moran, stopped the fight. And it just, it just confused everybody who was watching because we saw the most powerful pound-for-pound -pound boxer in the world commit boxing's biggest sin on the world's biggest stage. And they just couldn't believe it that Roberto Duran quit this fight. And the super fight that I've just been talking about, it has some parallels to our text this morning in Jonah 3. As we see the big bad Nineveh has been approached by Jonah, the prophet of his weaker enemy, Israel. And Jonah proclaims that judgment is coming. And the big bad Nineveh then fast, they put on their sackcloth and cries out to Israel's God for mercy. God, like the referee, hears the villain's pleas and he relents, stopping disaster that was about to occur. 
And our challenge in our lives is sometimes we play the role that God hasn't called us to play, especially when it comes to our enemies. And when I say our enemies, I don't necessarily mean our literal enemies for some of us, but it can be people who live to another worldview that is contrary to our own. That we could be tempted to play a position that God hasn't called us to play. He hasn't called us to be referees in this life. He's the judge in the ring of life. And we will find out today that God brings mercy to the undeserving. That God brings mercy to the undeserving. And this goes often against what our hearts and our world accepts. Vengeance and justice are a more common longing than mercy and justice and forgiveness, especially in regards to our enemies. So today we meet Jonah back on dry land. He knew the assignment, but he chose to fumble the assignment the first time. But God, but God is letting him do a redo. That God has come to Jonah a second time. And beloved, can't we be so glad that God allows us so many second chances? That grace is here for us and that grace was here for your boy Jonah. Can't we be so grateful that he is oh so gracious? So no longer do we see Jonah running from God's commission, being nothing but a disrupting witness. But now he is ready to proclaim. And what we see now from Jonah, because he has experienced the mercy and grace from God, he is now ready to obey. And beloved, may we not live that way. As God's people today, there is no greater need than to participate in Christ's mission today. As our culture grows more and more divided, more and more fragmented and polarized by the day, can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to let others know of their need for God's mercy and his grace? It's crazy. God had to save Jonah by a great fish to finally holler at his enemies. But through it, we actually learned that Nineveh was unaware of their need for God's mercy. So saying this honestly would be an understatement. As, give you a little background more about Nineveh. Nineveh was a city founded by Noah's descendant named Nimrod. After he had actually established Babylon. So we actually learn about this in the table of nations in Genesis 10. So it lets us know that the spiritual background of this land that Jonah enters is totally rebellious to God and his will. It's always been that way in Nineveh for thousands of years. And now Nineveh is thriving again. This is a land that never desired the rule of God. 
for their lives and didn't know or care about the mercy of God. And it was established on human thoughts and human power independent of God. So Jonah was walking into Nineveh to literally say that it would be demolished in 40 days. And that's like us today walking into L.A. and say, L.A. is about to be like London Bridge and it's going to fall down. Nineveh was an intellectual and cultural capital. It was a world-class city in that time in history. And you see in the text, Jonah talks about how it was such a great city. And it was reestablished during this 8th century B.C. due to violence. So now we get a little bit of a, a background of why Jonah was running the first time. But the great thing about it is that mercy and grace from God put the battery in Jonah's back. And now he's gladly entering into Nineveh. And this shows us a key principle that one doesn't live with courage for God without experiencing the mercy and grace of God in our lives. And beloved, this is why we must never get past the gospel. Our radar for the love of our neighbors will always be offline if we don't drink from the well of the gospel day after day. So Jonah experienced the unspeakable rescue from God And now he is ready to proclaim the same rescue to a people who didn't know or think that they need to be restored. So Nineveh's awareness wasn't great in this time in history because Israel was following the way of evil. Like Israel, if you know anything about this time, they were following in the way of the evil king Jeroboam of Nebat. And during this time, this is where Jeroboam II was ruling. And yes, they were the enemies of the people of God, but Israel had already failed in their calling that God had given them as his covenant people. They failed to be a light to the nations. They failed to be a light to the nations. And this brings us to another key principle that I want y'all to take down. When God's people fail to shine the light of the kingdom in his world, God's mercy has no way to be found. When God's people fail to shine the light of the kingdom in his world, God's mercy has no way to be found. So yes, Nineveh was Israel's enemies, but because they failed God, they also left them for for dead. This only made Jonah's commission that much harder. And I think it would be fair to say that our modern day America looks closer to Nineveh than it is to Jerusalem. Can I get an amen? Amen. And beloved, our, our gospel witness becomes a disruptive witness when we shine the flashlight of mercy in our dark world. That times are changing this decade. And honestly, we have entered a period that could be classified as the gray zone. So this is a term um, that's coined by Australian pastor and theologian Mark Sayers in his new book, a non-anxious presence. And he describes it as this. These are the words of Mark Sayers. Gray zones exist in the overlap of two eras. They contain the influence of both the passing and forming era. This makes gray zones confusing and contradictory. 
the gray zone will be the context in which you live and lead. We must understand it and learn how to flourish within it. So right now we're, we're going through what many would call a great acceleration, which was precipitated by a great slowdown starting with COVID. So we're, we're in the merging of two eras. And the bottom line for us is the church will be needed more than ever to help our society become aware again to their need for God's mercy. And around the holidays, there's a, there's a classic that comes on regularly, and it's called It's a Wonderful Life. And in that story, if, you're not, if you've never seen it or, or if you're very familiar, you know that there's a guy named George Bailey. And George Bailey um, thought that his wife, life, I said wife, life wasn't worth living. So it's kind of similar to Jonah in that way that Jonah, he just resigned himself to death. And George Bailey resigned himself to death and was just about to end his life because of all the things that occurred. And then um, a guardian angel named Clarence jumped in the water. And George Bailey went to save him. And George Bailey saves Clarence. And then Clarence begins to, um, you know, and listening to George, George saying, like, man, it's not worthy of my life to be lived. Like, it doesn't matter if I live or not. And then Clarence shows George uh, an alternate reality if George was no longer living. And I say all of that to say... I can't even imagine what life in this world would look like without the church. And if the church just decided that it wasn't going to be the church anymore, what would be the trajectory of the things to come until Christ returns? It would be a lot more like Nineveh all around the world if the church didn't decide to be the church. So for us, family, for us, our flashlight of mercy has to shine bright in the world. We need to grow deeper and deeper with Jesus so that he can power our flashlight. Because without Jesus, that flashlight will go out. And that calls us to look at a problem of why our flashlight might, might go out for us. And the fact is we're often unaware of our need for God's mercy. So in our world, cancer culture is our norm, and secularism to many is king. So we live in a no-mercy world. And keep your God out the public square environment. So this impacts and forms our society. But the thing about what we have to realize is it actually impacts and forms and shapes us too. To the fact that we could be so desensitized to our neighbor's need for the mercy and grace of God. That we can feel trapped in a box, but at the same time lack urgency in our gospel witness. On the other hand, where we live, work, and play, everyone around us also may identify as Christian. It's kind of common out here. For some, they identify that they're Christian because of their family heritage. And it's not always because they've encountered the supernatural grace of God. So literally, we see no commitment 
from to Christ in these people's lives. And this can also impact, shape, and form us as well as our society. That we could be so desensitized to our neighbor's need for the mercy and grace of God. And we could feel what's the sense of witnessing to those around me as I'm never really around anybody who would say that they're not a Christian. So navigating between these two streams in a different way can often leave us feeling hopeless like Jonah before he met a fish called grace. But our world needs the people of the living hope to rise up. And when I say rise up, I'm not talking to Atlanta Falcon fans. Family, if we don't rise up, we lose hope in our witness and we just grow to be indifferent to those around us. Our hearts just grow cold or they grow lukewarm towards his mercy. And we are no longer amazed by his mercy and grace. And we become what you would call professional Christians. And for the record, my wife stepped out, but I'm giving my wife permission to slap the mess out of me. If she feels me drifting into becoming a professional Christian. When we don't long to know and experience his mercy and his grace in our day-to-day lives, we can easily drift to being aware of our need for God's mercy. We drift to this state of unawareness when we fail to pray to God every day. What about we fail to confess our sin to God daily? We fail to apologize for our sins to others who sinned, who we sinned against. And lastly, one thing I'll say is we, 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 we lose this, we drift into the state of unawareness when we fail to mourn all of the injustice that is around us and around our globe. We need to be aware of his mercies because they are new every morning. Because Jesus is interceding for us right now. He longs for us to remember his mercies daily because he endured on that cross. So our mercies could be sweet treats to our souls. Holy Spirit, work with us. Help us remember our great salvation and how much we need your mercies every day to follow Jesus faithfully. There's no limit to God's help for his enemies. We learn that clearly as we continue looking at verses 4 through 10 in Jonah chapter 3, as we see that God brings mercy to the undeserving. The Assyrians record record of, of, of cruelty to God's people and his image bearers was super lengthy. God described it in this way. In Jonah 1-2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it 
because their evil has come up before me. The word spoke to Jonah actually had a familiar ring to his original audience. As when God spoke about Nineveh, it was nothing more than an echo of when God spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham. And this could be read in Genesis 18, 20 to 21, which says, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense. And their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if they have, if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. So what God called Jonah to proclaim to Nineveh was weighty. And after Jonah said these eight words that we read at the end of verse 4, which was actually only five in the Hebrew, we see that they ran for the mercy of God and they believed God. So just think about it. Remember, I told you we can compare Nineveh to a modern day LA. So this is like LA just stopping dead in their tracks. Everybody running to God. This is big, y'all. We see that Jonah's five words and in these remaining verses literally turn the Ninevites' world upside down. That now they were seeking mercy from the God of Israel, their weaker enemies. And what's most striking in this undeserving, and with this undeserving bunch, is they cried out a different name than the sailors that we, that we encountered in Jonah 1 and showed no worship after their salvation. Nineveh didn't even call out the covenant name of Israel's God. Also, it isn't recorded that Nineveh began to worship God in any way after he relented from his judgment, as we read in verse 10. So from the later book in the 12, in the 12 minor prophets, Nahum, which is seen to many as a, as a sequel to the book of Jonah, we learn that Nineveh never gets it together. Like, they never got it together. Like, 60, 70 years later, like, they taken over Israel. And then, like, about 150 years later, God eventually destroys Nineveh. So, what we're learning is that through Jonah's witness, God brings mercy to the wicked. And another miracle of grace through our compassionate, gracious God. So today, God's goodness is often challenged. It's challenged in our neighborhoods. It's challenged in our schools. It's challenged in our workplaces. It's challenged in our families. And it's challenged on social media. And the book of Jonah is showing us that we have a good, merciful, compassionate, and gracious God who wants all of humanity to come back to him in faith and repentance. And this, this is the same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that his character is constant and it's unchanging. And we have, we have receipts. We have from Genesis to Revelation of our good God. And his cord of love, mercy, and grace 
is woven all through the scriptures. So as we bring people to the scriptures, letting them see God's character on display, this is what people in our day need more than anything. Family, as we continue to grow as Bible people, we can be disruptive in our witness. We can challenge the false narratives of God that are spit all around us. As people of the book, we can share the scriptures through our words. As a flashlight of mercy to our neighbors and especially to our enemies. So before God revealed the glory of Christ and his plan of redemption to us, as we only just lived as viewers of a movie who started in the middle. Have y'all ever just turned on the television and started watching a movie? You don't know how it started. You don't know the plot line. You don't know what's going on. Do y'all stay watching that movie? Y'all do? Is y'all kind of quiet. Do y'all, y'all stay watching that movie? No, right? You say, nah, I'm going to watch this another time or, or whatever. But literally, when we come into this world, we literally are in the middle of a story. And everybody thinks they know how the story is going to end. But they don't know what happened before. So how can the world lead for the peace, the unity, all these things that we want, but they don't know how the world got to the way it is. So you see how important the scriptures are to that story. That it gives people who once lived in the middle of a story they didn't know how it started. It helps them understand how to live because we know how the story will end. And we know what's going on in the midst of life's story. So as we grow in the word and trust it as the, the total truth of reality, we can share it with confidence because we have experienced his mercy and his grace. And we got to tell the whole world. We got to tell the whole world about this Jesus that we found. And for us to do that, our grace received, we must dwell on it. Keep growing our heart's passion that is growing deeper and deeper for our King Jesus. And we could do this meditating daily on the fact that Jesus brings mercy to us, the undeserving. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. Christ died for us because God loves us. He loved all of his creation and he loved us, the pinnacle of his creation, because we are made in his image. His cord of love, mercy, and grace brought him to the cross to die for us, the undeserving enemies of his kingdom. All we brought to our redemption is our sin. That's all we brought to our, bring to our redemption. So that tells us that we must never get the big head 
of no mercy for our enemies. I'm going to say that again. May we never get the big head of no mercy for our enemies. So we can't allow the biases, the narratives, and the propaganda we consume through media and social media to form the way that we live in relation to our neighbors. That the cross and the resurrection must be the central formation point of our life in Christ. So when the cross and the resurrection isn't the central forming source of our lives, we will never use the flashlight of mercy. Our posture will not be a servant to the kingdom, but we will think that we can sit in the seat of judge of the kingdom beside Jesus when it comes to how we look at others. And I'm going to tell y'all something. I'm going to make it very loud and clear. Christ didn't save us to look like Babylon or America. His saving mercy, his daily mercies over our lives must be the fuel of our disruptive witness. May it be our daily prayer for us to become more awestruck by your mercy and grace over our lives, Lord Jesus. The longer we walk with Christ, our view of the cross should only be getting larger and larger as we realize how great the distance between God's holiness and the depths of our sin really truly is. And then our gratitude to God, our compassion and mercy towards others should be growing as the view of the cross only grows in our hearts. And if we are growing deeper in the gospel, our hearts should be melting towards God and others, not getting colder and colder towards God and others. Anytime you feel your heart drifting towards a winter chill, towards somebody, remember this text and remember that we are the Ninevites. If God had not lavished his mercy on us because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we would be the Ninevites still. We don't receive eternal grace because of our good lives. It's because of Jesus' perfect life exchanged for our raggedy old sinful ones. And because Jesus is Lord, we submit to live as witnesses of his kingdom. That we no longer live as Ninevites. That we live as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And it's calling us to be better listeners. It's calling us to be generous stewards. It's calling us to learn how to be compassionate for the sake of others. So stop just being about our, we have to stop being about our, only ourselves. Just think about how things in our communities, our workplaces, our schools will be transformed by this beloved community as we lived as agents of the kingdom. TK, Jesus is calling us to bring mercy to the undeserving and for us to be his disruptive witnesses to make disciples where we live, when we work, and where we play.
was Pastor Ramon continuing in our series, Disruptive Witness. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. If you are in Charlotte or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays at 1033 on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and be sure to check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go on back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.